address is the finest in Paris, which pets possess the longest pedigree, which pets get to sleep on velvet mats, naturellement the Aristocats. Secure all cargo, all passengers aboard, bowmen, cast off bow line. Engine room ahead one quarter. Huge ass music. What does the Mark Twain have to do with the Aristocats? Absolutely nothing. There's jazz music. That's it. That's the best thing I could think of because I've never been in Impressions de France at um, Walt Disney World. Oh, so. is that why you were trying to? Pick I, well, this is a very French movie, and I thought that would have been better, but no, we just it didn't happen. I mean, yeah. we could have done like Disneyland Paris or. I don't. I I don't speak French. There's a, sweet. <laughs> there, I guess there's a Ratatouille ride, but that's Ratatouille. That's yeah. not. There's no Aristocats ride. I, I'm just quoting actually a song. Uh, the Je ne peux pas travailler, je ne peux pas déjeuner. You know that song? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, okay, so yeah. That famous depressed French woman. Exactly. Um, what was the. Uh, uh, do you remember the Fight of the Concord song, Foodie Fafa? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come in there, Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> two, two Australian men. New Zealand. I'm sorry. I just. I'm sorry. I just, We're leaving it in. I just mistaked Aussies for Kiwis. Or Kiwis for Aussies. And they I hate see. that. I oh, know. God. It's okay. Man, that's all right. Imagine all the angry letters. Yeah, for all the, like, you know, seven people that listen to this podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Kayla Berry. I am your host, and I'm joined by David King, who is also my host, but we also have another special guest. What? Ooh. We do. And he's a returning guest. Hey, welcome back, Ben Spiegel. Ta-da! I'm here. Yes. <laughs> uh, if you've been long-time listeners, you'll remember Ben from our episode on Bambi. That was a long time ago. That was a while ago. Like, uh, what was that? That was the fifth movie we did, right? Something like that. Oh, my gosh. And here we are at number 20. Number this is the 20th 20. uh, feature animated film produced by Walt Disney Animation Studios. The first film to be produced without the guidance of Walt whatsoever. Really? This was the first one? Sort of. He's still Jungle Book, was, I mean, uh, Walt was involved with the Jungle Book, but mm-hmm. this one's one they had to put together kind of without him. Uh, for the most part, he still had a little bit of part of it. Uh, yeah. They found his head and he was like, please, make the Aristocats. <laughs> Well, okay. listen, I, I really, I really need you. I really need you to make the Aristocats support. Actually, funny enough, Bambi is the fifth movie. Yes, and we are currently on the twentieth uh, movie. Right. So fifteen movies later. Wow. Fifteen yeah. movies later. I'll be here every fifteen movies, guys. There All right, that go. sounds or, good. Or any multiple of five, basically. Just okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, All right. Whatever the fifth. Centennial. Is. We'll hear centennial. Great. One. <laughs> Great, the 45th is Home on the Range. Congratulations. Oh, oh no. You know, I've never actually seen that movie. Really? I have. That might be a fun one to watch. It could be, yeah. It could, okay. It, it could be. Well, think about it. We'll, we'll think, think, we'll think about it. Do you want to subject yourself to Home on the Range? I've seen it. 
God. I remember the trailers for that movie. They played those everywhere. They did. Remember when they were uh, when they had Big Thunder Ranch all dressed up with yeah. uh, stuff from Home on the Range? Oh my god, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, they had like wanted posters for the movie's villain, and they played That's the Patch right. of Heaven song in the background oh, constantly. Wow. They were really, yeah, they were really pushing that movie very They well. were, but I think they knew it was going to fail because they wanted the animation. You know, we can talk about the history of that when we get to yeah, that movie. Yeah. Here we are. For a future episode. In a different time period where Walt had passed. It's 1970, um, and uh, we, uh, this is the part where I let Kayla take over because Kayla's I, the one who does her homework. Yeah, just like any movie, let's face it, for the most part, this began a while back. Yeah. Uh, this actually was uh, suggested during 1961, uh, so we got like nine years before this. But the funny part is, um, it wasn't meant to be animated. Okay, let, let's go back a little bit more. Yeah, so that's um, start from the beginning. A very good place to start. So Walt um, asked like a, hit, a couple of his writers and producers to find some like uh, animal stories to adapt for live action for his wonderful World of Color television program. And uh, Tom McGowan, which is one of the writers, uh, found uh, a uh, found uh, some several stories, and one of them is actually based on a true story. This is a true story. What, about a cat napping? No, but it wasn't that uh, about a story of Parisian... Family of cats during 1910 that in- inherited a fabulous fortune. So this, oh. yes, this did happen. And they were all hippies as well, for some reason. <laughs> One of them had serious bedroom eyes going on. Yeah, oh. well, whenever you look too close into her eyes. It's kind of creepy. And if you look into her eyes, she will put you in trances. Not to mention, okay, well, no, we'll get to Duchess later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing is to do this out of order. Yes. So, uh, so uh, Tom McGowan, as well as um, uh, Harry Title, uh, I think I'm saying that right, Harry Title, uh, decided to create this story of the Aristocats. Um, they liked the idea how London was uh, such a great element for 101 Dalmatians, so they did set them in Paris for that reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the, the storyline, um, similar thing. Uh, the, they try to, uh, uh, kill, like, basically try to kill the cats to get money, but, um, it was going to be about two servants, a butler and a maid. Mm. So, it's almost like a Bonnie and Clyde type of thing. Yeah. But, and Boris Karloff and Franz, uh, Francois Rosé mm-hmm. were, uh, in mind to portray the butler and the, and the madame. Oh, wow. I would love to see that movie. Mm. The, uh, I mean, Edgar played by Boris Karloff. I could see Edgar being played by Boris Karloff, <laughs> honestly. Uh, and then, um, actually, so McGowan brought in uh, Tom Rowe to help write it as well, and he because he was an American writer who was living in Paris. Mm. Um, an American writer in Paris. Exactly. So uh, they sent the script to Burbank in 1962, and it was returned as rejected by some unknown executive at Disney Studios. Whoa! But- <laughs> unknown. Uh, then, uh, Title brought the script to Walt, uh, he was staying in London, and Walt approved the draft, but made a dish, like, said, you know, we should cut some things. Uh. We need more geese in this film. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh. So good. Before they were, exactly, Gracie. Uh, before filming was about to, uh, start, uh, 
Ro was like, you know, I don't like the changes you've made, and... No! Oh, he's don't disagree doomed. with Walt. He's doomed. He disagreed with Walt. And, uh... Uh, and then uh, Title was telling Ro, like, no, we gotta keep the changes, but then uh, the project was shelved. Ah. Mm. Uh. And uh, later on, like, uh, this was by 1963, and then um, Title actually recommended to Walt, like, maybe we should produce this story, The Aristocats, as an animated film. Uh, but during that time, he was like, you know, let's keep it shelved. Uh, I got Jungle Book to worry about. So, um,. And also, I have all this lung cancer to worry yeah. about. <laughs> so it's a good impression of lung cancer. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's uh, <laughs> I shouldn't. <laughs> Jesus. So um... <laughs> I have mixed feelings about Walt Disney. <laughs> what? I'm just kidding. What? Except not. He was kind of a. He was kind of a. He's kind of a, well. As we, uh, time and again, I've realized how much of a hard ass Walt was. So yeah. Yeah, was. but you got to be a hard ass to produce art ass. <laughs> you can go ahead and bleep that. Art, art asts. Art asts, yeah. Yeah. That, that was the, before Imagineers, Here. there were art asts. Art asts. So. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Um, we're having an art attack. Move on. So, Wolfgang Reitherman knew, learned of the project. He's like, I want to work on it. Let's do this after Jungle Book. And. Um, I like Wolfgang Reitherman. Yeah. <laughs> And then at that time, uh, 1966, uh, Disney assigned Ken Anderson uh, to determine, uh should Aristocats be more live action or animated. And um, I wonder uh, what they went with. And gee, I wonder why. Well, I mean, you ask Ken Anderson what what to go with, it doesn't surprise me. He's going to say animated. And of course, it, they did. Yeah. Animated. Yeah. Well, it's a so, lot easier to work with animated cats than real cats. Yeah, you know the the term "herding cats" exists for a reason. So. <laughs> So then um, uh, Anderson began working on the sketches, and uh, Walt approved those uh, the, approved the project just shortly before his death. Oh, okay. So he approved it, but he wasn't involved in any of its production. Yeah. He, yeah. Had, he, had the, the, he gave the seal approval, and he also gave some notes to an early live-action draft of it. But other than yeah. that, we... There's his touch is not felt in this film. No, sadly not. We had, we had it's this is the point where we're, we're kind of wrapping up all the little projects that Walt kind of had in, in on the shelf. Yeah. And then at some point they're like, "Well, we ran out of Walt stuff. What do we do?" <laughs> but uh um so during throughout the whole time um uh you got Ryderman and Ken Anderson working on the story. And uh the story was a lot more complicated and they actually had to shrink it down quite a bit. Uh, the maid character that was supposed to be in there, um, the character was going to be named Elmira, which is... <laughs> Elmira? Oh yeah. Oh, gosh. And she actually was going to be, um, voiced by Elsa Lanchester. Oh. But they, they said... Why didn't they get Vampira? <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, the Bride of Frankenstein is much more cooler. Well, no, uh, this no. is true. Vampira. Uh, but saying they called her Elmira, get Vampira. It rhymes. Da 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 da. And then, yeah. we, then we got Elmira in uh, Tiny Tunes. <laughs> uh, but then they decided, okay, no, we're gonna make Edgar the focus for this one instead as the villain. Because yeah, why focus on a woman? It's the 1970s. We can't do that. God no. Why would we? <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, Aristocats was released in December of 1970. 
Uh, Specifically, December 24th? Yes, December 24th, 1970. It's a holiday film. Merry Christmas. It's January. (laughs) And Kwanzaa and Hanukkah and... And Solstice. Solstice and Festivus for the rest of us. And Yule! And Yule. So they had a budget of four million. You know, it feels like every animated film at some like for the most part. Oh yeah, four million. Three million, four million. Yeah. So uh, <sighs> let's take let's place bets, everybody. Do you think it did? Did you think it did well or terribly? Did they have a budget? I think it did okay. One dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say okay. it did. If I undershoot okay, it, I win. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it underperformed. Underperformed. Okay. I'm gonna say it did well enough. Okay. Oh, let's. Okay. Let's take the bets. Is do you think they um, made their money, or like, uh, or do you think they uh, uh, made back the money? Like, was it a hit, or was it under budget? And what did the critics think? Did they like it or dislike it or mixed? Hmm. Uh, the the Care Bears weren't around this time, right? No. Okay, that, that was the eighties, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, so I'm gonna say that they they did they they made their money back. They made their money back. What did critics say? What did the critics say? What do you think the critics said? Uh, they probably panned it. <laughs> okay. What do you- uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna just to be contrary, and I'm gonna say uh, it didn't make its money back, and critics were actually critic crit, critics were kind of apathetic about it. <gasps> It grossed 10.1 million at the end of uh, uh, 1971. Only in United States and Canadian rentals, by the way. Okay. Oh. Uh, it rentals. Was, it was the most popular released film in the British box office in 1971. Holy. Shit, second most popular in France in <laughs> 1971 to 1972, with six million admissions. Wow. And has a total of 12 million, making it the most popular film released in 19 in France in 1971. That caught me by surprise. Yeah. Uh, Just adding the that film is to the, the poopy reel. The film is the most popular film released in Germany in 1971. Mm. And it's actually... Oh, oh, okay. Sorry. L- let me put this too. In France, it's their 18th highest grossing film. In Germany, it's their 11th highest grossing film. Wow. And near the end, the film uh, grossed about 11 million... Domestically, and 17 million in foreign countries. So, wow. 28 million. So, to, like, domestically it did okay, but o- overseas it did really well. It had a $4 million budget and made uh, well, 10 million. Yeah, so it's they, intense. Well, I mean, that's that's pretty good. You, uh, generally, like, you're, you're, you're considered a huge success when you, like, triple it. But that's, and that's it, really and, good. And then it also did a re-release and got all together for their box office, $191 million. Nice. 191 million? That's the full box list after a re-release later on. Yeah, and VHS and all that? Yeah. Gotcha. Because when you said rentals, I was like, they didn't have rentals in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, okay, yeah. Well, uh, I'm, I'll leave my words there. Um, yeah. Me too. I don't know. I just, uh, maybe it's based on my own impressions, but... Um, well, it's uh, here in, in America... Where we're from. <laughs> Do you think? It's not as... It's not, you know, one of the seminal films that's celebrated for, for Disney. Yeah, you don't see Aristocats get brought up a lot in yeah. the greater in the great greater scheme of movies that people talk about Disney-wise. Yeah. The, the, the only thing that I do know is that, I, as far as like the foreign influence of this film, is that I believe 
Um, who's who's the 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 young girl cat that keeps getting into trouble? Uh, uh, Marie. Yeah, I I believe that Marie, for whatever reason, is extremely popular. I think it's in China. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. It, it's either in uh, China or Japan, and it's terrible for me to mix that up. But I'm I'm not sure which it was. Uh, I think I think you're right. Of the cats in that movie, she's probably the most iconic looking. Mm-hmm. So you see, I, I have seen merchandise of her, like yeah. at least come up online or you know in reference. Yeah, I think it might it might have been Japan. Yeah, because I've watched enough videos of Tokyo Disney, you know, going like I want to go so bad, like you know, <laughs> seeing gift shops and whatnot. Yeah, she's she's a very popular character, even though she's kind of the source of most of the problems in the movie. So, yeah, even if her, well, I mean, even if herself, we'll, we'll get into that when we yeah. get into the movie. But. Critics actually, at the time, by the way, at the time, they praised it. Oh. They, like, loved it. Um, uh, Roger Ebert gave her it three out of four stars. Whoa! Yeah, I know, right? Uh, Roger. It wasn't until, like, the 1987 re-release that um, critics were like, this isn't, this is okay. <laughs> like, they, it, all of a sudden, when it got re-released, it, the people weren't saying, mm it's, well, it's based on a true story, so... Yeah, sir. So, uh... Perspectives change in a decade. Um, and actually, they were considering doing a sequel to this film. Ha <laughs> like, ha. Uh, like, uh... Like, the, uh... Direct-to-VHS type of one in 2005. Uh, like Little Mermaid 2 and... All right. Yeah. You know, or I could, I could... Based on what we saw in this movie, I could see an Aristocats too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this changed, like, when uh, John Laster was, uh, became the new chief creative officer, and he said, no more sequels! Thank mm. you, John. I, at least uh, there's some shady things that happened after that, but... There, there. Or during that. And around there, but at least no more Disney sequels. Mm-hmm. No more director video sequels, so I'm good with that. So, now we're, uh, I mean, the... Now that I've said what I've had to say about the history, we can dive into the film. Um, as always, we like to talk about personal histories with this film. Oh, yeah. Let's uh, talk about personal histories. What's your uh, personal history with this film? Let's start with our guest, Ben. Hey. So I specifically requested to be part of this episode because this was a big part of my childhood, actually. I um, Like a lot of kids of my era, I grew up with the VHSs of, of a lot of Disney movies this one, for whatever reason, was one that I watched a lot. Really? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> uh, since then, you know, since about, like, you know, 95, 96. I mean, maybe a little bit later than that. Yeah. I, but I, I I haven't really watched it since, you know, my childhood. But I remember it very fondly. And for whatever reason, this was the one where I was like, replay this again. <laughs> Uh, young Ben, like <laughs> wanting, uh, watching the Aristocats. Yeah. Um, I remember this renting this one. This was not one I owned. I think I rented it like twice, mm. maybe. I don't know. I do. I have vague recollections of very specific parts of this movie, but I don't really remember all like the whole thing. And I remember the the way events played out in some parts, but other parts were new to me. So I did this more. This one. I didn't have as much of a, like, nostalgic connection to. Mm. So, for me, it was like revisiting it fresh. And uh, while I do remember 
the things that I remember very specifically are two of the songs because I had those Disney sing-along tapes growing up. Yeah. And they had... Uh, Plus their Sherman Brothers song, so how could you forget Oh, yeah. That? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, they had the piano the piano, the piano, piano lesson, <laughs> whatever that one, scales and arpeggios. Oh, yeah. yeah. That one I remember very vividly. And then, um, obviously, Everybody Wants to Be a Cat. Yeah. Is a great song, and uh, those those two things specifically are the things I remember about the film. And then I remember kind of the plot and other aspects of it. I remember that it was you know Phil Harris as uh, Tom Thomas O'Malley, an incredible voice. Yeah, incredible voice. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I don't have as much of a connection with this film personally. Um, still enjoyed it, but um, you must have had a terrible childhood then. <laughs> I mean, I was telling in the last episode how, like, I basically absorbed the Jungle Book into my, like, consciousness so I could, like, replay that movie in my head. So, yeah, I guess I, this was, I didn't have, I didn't own a copy of the Aristocats, okay, Ben? Yeah, well, listen. So sue me. me while, while I lived a life of, of beautiful, art-filled <laughs> entertainment with cats who were going to get an, an enormous inheritance, you were living in the jungle with wild animals that were trying to kill you at all times. N- only one wild animal wanted to kill me. Well, it, yeah, but there was other wild animals. The other, well, the other ones just wanted to either like send me back to the man village or or let me stay in the jungle, but then kind of backstab me and send me back to the man village anyway. Yeah. Only like two tried to kill me. Only two. Only, only two. Only two. And one of them wasn't even spiteful about it. He was just hungry. So Kayla, <laughs> what's your history with this film? So my history, uh, it little. Uh, I watch it quite a bit, but in an in- indirect way. So, um, first off, the first time I learned, I actually remember uh, seeing Everybody Wants to Be a Cat from the uh, sing-along songs first before I actually saw the movie. And um, the reason I saw it quite a bit was, it wasn't my favorite film, but my sister loved it. Um, she, this this will come up again with the... Uh, um, my, I'll mention this later on um, with... Uh, that's right, Gracie. <laughs> with uh, Oliver and Company, uh, because that's... I think that was my sister's favorite Disney film at the time, so we watched that quite a bit. But Aristocats was one of her favorites because she was definitely... When it came to, like, animal films... Mm. She was a big fan of that. Like, when it came to animal and Disney films, she loved that stuff. Talking animals. Well, it also seems like specifically cats are... uh, Cats are definitely a big one for her. Uh, Because Aristocats and Oliver and Company, it's mainly... The the main focus are cats. uh, Well, dogs, too. Yeah, well, there's dogs in both, but, I mean, Oliver is a cat. Yeah, that's true. Uh, But she also... Like, it also was dogs, too. Like, it was basically pets sort of thing. Okay. Uh, But with uh, Aristocats... um, she really liked the character Marie. Mm. Like that. She actually had a stuffed Marie toy as a kid. So. Did she get it from Japan? <laughs> no, it was from the Disney store. <laughs> uh, but um, as a result, I've seen that. I have seen this film quite a bit, but it wasn't as m- memorable to me. Like I remember it, but it didn't, at the time, did not stick out for me. So it's been a while. I would say, like, the last time I saw this was. I want to say, like, teenager, but not, like, older teenager. Like, like 12 or 13 type. Like, preteen, yeah. I think. Last time I saw it. Mm. Cool. Uh, so, let's, yeah. let's begin this. 
All right, so uh, we have another opening se- se- sequence that reminds me a lot of, like, not quite as stylistic as 101 Dalmatians, but one thing I like about it is we see line art of the cats that we'll see later just moving across the screen, just just the line art. Yeah. And um, there's a song in f- with a heavy French accent over the talk about about that, like, Vige pets are grown, they never show their claws, and something like that. So, uh, this we were, we were kind of talking. Actually, uh, so the the song Aristocats is actually sung by this uh, famous singer uh, named Maurice Chevalier. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, I'm Maurice Chevalier. You almost did not, but you you got it. You know who this is? It rings a bell. Okay. Well, (laughs) he was was in retirement at this point. Disney actually brought him out in retirement to do this song. (laughs) Every time I'm out, they pull me back in. And and it was his last film, or last song he ever sang. Oh, wow. He never sang again, ever, even in private. Well, well, he died, so... (laughs) Right after the recording. He finished the song and said... Do I get my paycheck? Do I get my uh, paycheck? And they said yes. And he said merci. And then he fell over dead. Yes. <laughs> Strafe! Strafe! <laughs> God. So uh, actually, uh, you guys. He. I tried to look up what songs he did. And, and now the famous death of Maurice Chevalier. <laughs> you would know this one, uh, but uh, you wouldn't know the version he would sing. But uh, you would know this one. He wrote and sang. Living in the sunlight, loving in the moonlight. Are you serious? That that was an original song before Tiny Tim did it. Oh yeah, I I, I remember this. I think I've heard his version. Okay, then yeah, because he sings it in English, but it's he's got the accent still. Yeah. So he's like you know things that bother you never bother me. I think everything's fine. That's him. Yeah, there's something a glorious time. There's something that makes that song even funnier. Having like a Frenchman sing it. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's not that, you know, that uh, I'm not trying to be offensive to French people, but that, that's funny. <laughs> Objectively. Yeah, it is. I mean, actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I love this opening number, and I love the this this little the line drawings, and what it, it looks like it's being projected on a glass window or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that... Mm-hmm. I'm, With all these crazy colors. That's so. There's a couple of um, elements I want to say. It's kind of weird seventies aesthetic. Oh yeah, it, about because uh, <laughs> it's like yeah, it was. Not... It's like it was released in the seventies. <laughs> See, it, I, I think it it, it kind of not as much as uh, well, probably the same amount. Uh, when we get into Pete's Dragon, we'll discuss this as well. There's a couple of like elements in there that feel off or anachronistic. Mm. So, because um, the film is sell- set in 1910. 1910 in Paris. And there are a lot of, like, 1960s elements to this that are just like, but why not set it later? Like, Well, I mean, one of the reasons, I, I we, we talked about this, one of the reasons 101 Dalmatians works is because it's in, it's, it is set in the, um, like, the early 60s in... Um, in in London, yeah, and but so, it feels but it's set like in, it. It's set in its own time period. Yeah. yeah, it feels like it, and I think that the reason why it works too is because it was made in 1960s London, and like the line work works for its time. Like you, like this is really like with um, 101 Dalmatians. It's perfectly 
uh, set for what its time period is, for its location. It just it it just meshes all together. This is there's some it's a bit off, uh, but. The one thing I was kind of confused about was, like, why is it over a colored glass? Mm. Like, what? There's no... I can't think of a reason. Like, there's no colored glass in this film or, like... Uh, I, I, there, there's the part where they turn the, like, lamp, like, the colored glass lamp on in the house during the cat yeah, dancing scene. Yeah, but it's... It's supposed to represent the hollow ideals of 1910. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, things are... It's things colored are doing, glass. Well, things were doing fine in 1910 Paris, at least as far as I could tell. It was the... We, we, we were moving into the... the we were for te- a decade into the 20th century, uh, World War One. Yeah, we, nothing was, bad no, happens. Nothing bad happened Pre, was on the horizon. Pre-World War One. The Titanic hadn't gone down yet. Things were good. Things and, were looking up. And this old lady, this beautiful, elegant, rich old lady hat is... Obsessed with her cats. Yeah. That's right. We see her in a carriage right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. All she has is her cats, her lawyer, and her butler. Yep. And her <laughs> horse. The frou-frou. Oh, yeah. Frou-frou. Her, her horse, frou-frou. So we should probably, we should probably introduce some, because we get a bunch of our characters introduced here. So we got, we got the madam, who has a name, but I can't remember it. I love the fact she's a crazy cat lady, but she looks elegant and suave, and it's just so classy and has a lot of money. You know, I understand why she's a crazy cat lady, because she used to be an actress. That gets revealed later on. Yeah, it does reveal. A lot of actresses. <laughs> <laughs> crazy cat I'm, I'm going to town on actresses. Well, there's actresses and crazy cat sure. ladies. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, it's revealed later on, like, because uh, they play Carmen, or uh, a famous song from uh, Carmen, and it was revealed that she was in it, and I was like, oh, so she was in a, not just an actress, but like an opera singer, so. She was in the original production of Carmen. <laughs> the original, original. Yeah. She's 200 years old. <laughs> well, it's 1910. I mean... I mean, it's feasibly, like, could be possible, but I don't think she's old enough to have been in the original production. When was the original Carmen that came out? Well, we have the power of the internet to help us with that, but we don't need to... I don't know how to put it. Okay, anyway, so... So she's 4,000 years old. She's she's 487 years old, and I don't know why I'm doing this voice. Um, I said this to you, sir. I am Winston Churchill. Um, uh, 1875. Oh, 1875? Yep. Yeah. So she was in the original production yeah. of Carmen. That, in yeah. Paris. That's the implication? In Paris, yeah. Holy crap. Yeah, she was, she was in an original production of Carmen. In wow. Paris, yeah. In Paris. Uh, so, um, we, we get introduced to these, uh, lovely characters, and, uh... We, we, so we have... Yeah, they're, they're all on a carriage ride together. Yeah, right. and so then we, she, we, she... We have the madam, we have, du- uh, Duchess. Her, her cat, Duchess, voiced by right. Ava Gabor, which I find... The accents in this are amazing. Like, it's set in 1910 Paris, and we have, like, people of a variety of different accents in here. Like, Ava Gabor is a Hungarian actress, <laughs> so she has a Hungarian accent. Right. <laughs> we- and then she has three kittens, um, Marie, uh, Toulouse, and Berlioz. Uh, also, Toulouse is the best one. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much, she should have gotten rid of those Mar- other cats and just kept Toulouse. I know Marie is. I know Marie is like the most iconic one, the one that people took away from this film. But Toulouse is pretty much the the one with the most personality, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then Fru Fru's the horse, and there's Edgar the butler, 
and they all go to they're all riding him out and uh, they go to they go home and crazy cat lady yeah assumably they all went out for a nice day at the park or whatever activity that you do with cats that you take outdoors <laughs> yeah they, well i mean the the cat well, is established they have a cat door yeah and, and it makes sense that like well duchess has kittens mm-hmm. there's no father around yeah she, she had a she had a she had a tryst with a uh with an alley cat, but she will never admit it. And so one day she just ended up pregnant. Yeah, well, because she does not seem bothered at all by this alley cat when she meets him. No, none whatsoever. And she I, has a thing. She has a thing for alley cats. Oh, she's, she totally she's does. into bad boys for sure. She, yeah, no doubt. So I'm thinking one one night she went out the cat door and uh, came back, like acted like nothing had happened, and then a little while later she had some kittens. But uh, yeah, they were in the park with. Her. She's in the park with her cats. They come back from the park with their cats. And then uh, I think she actually changes into some, like, goes from, like, her park clothes to some fancy clothes with a feathered boa. Well, this is 1910. you got to be dressed for whatever occasion. And then, yeah. and then Duchess gets put in, like, this nice necklace. Yeah, those cats are living large. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I noticed about the madam, though? Um, her, like, she looks like how I would picture Corella DeVille if Corella DeVille weren't a nasty, horrible, old, like, scary-looking person. I, if we, because she's very tall, she's very slender, and she ten, she's very fashionable. The feather boa, especially, like, I was walking, watching her move and the way she moves around, like, the way that they animate her with her motions, very much reminded me of Corella a little bit. Yeah, I can see Not that. saying that she is like Corella, because obviously she loves animals, yeah. unlike Corella, who loves fur. Maybe they're sisters. Wouldn't that be interesting? What if if Corella is a descendant? Corella is a descendant of... Yeah. Oh, right, because it takes place in the 60s. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wouldn't be sisters. No, they would be... Like she's, she's like a niece or something. So she's she's really upset because uh, her aunt never if, left her any money. What if she left to the cats? Well, she already had money. Like remember, Corella was really really rich. She, she just, worked her way up in the world. Wait she earned minute. that money by skinning dogs. <laughs> wait a minute. What if what if the what if there is a connection? Yeah. What if Hell Hall, the ancestral home of the Deville family? Was also a place that the madam visited with her family. Oh my! Oh God. no! The oh boy. Sorry, we're building some continuity. A- any, anywho, so uh, her lawyer is invited to come over, and he's an old, old man that can barely walk. He's probably four thousand years old. Yeah. Yeah, he's good. And basically, I remember this sequence vividly when I was a oh, kid. Oh yeah, same. I described him as Jay Thaddeus Toad in his old age. Yeah, totally. Al- although I also joked that the way that he dresses uh, is exactly how David would dress as an old man. Are you kidding? Hell yeah! When I get old, I'm gonna walk around with a cane and a big coat and a top hat like that. Uh, also, how about that walk cycle though? Yeah. yeah. The, the, the way he's, he's actually one of the. I think the the whole sequence with where he Edgar's trying to help him up the stairs mm. and the way it's all animated is one of the best pieces of animation in the movie. Yeah, him, like that him, part is so good. Yeah, him and uh, he he reminds me a lot of like Dick Van Dyke now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, where he's yeah, very yeah. he's very yeah. you know rambunctious and rowdy, but he's like this this old guy that you don't expect him to be able this to be this limber. Right. Exactly. Oh so. man. So 
uh, lawyer is there so she can make out her will. Although I love the fact the first thing he asks is like, who do you want to sue today? Or like a... Yeah, who do you want to sue? Oh my god. Do you think that's how she made all her money? Yep, basically. Well, she was also an actress first. Yeah. But the, there was a big Me Too movement in Paris in 19, <laughs> 1900 and she sued everyone. In- do you think she... Well, let's see. This is 1910. Uh-huh. And... I, I don't. I, how was there? A, was there a, a suffragette movement in Paris? Is maybe I don't know. You know, I, 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 I again thinking about you know thinking about uh, Mrs. Bank Win- Winifred Banks. True. I, who knows? But the point is, she's he's there so she can make out her will, mm-hmm. and uh, her butler is listening in and learns she's going to leave everything to her cats. Wait. And then and then it'll go to him if they if the cats aren't alive. <laughs> but he's like these cats will all live a long time. So by the time they I'll be dead before the cats are cuz Edgar's Edgar's not getting any younger. Yeah. He's not old, but he's he's not he's no he's, spring chicken. He's definitely been a butler for a long time. Oh yeah. He lives uh, in kind of a crappy little room. Mm. Honestly. Like, I feel kind of bad cuz um in a weird way I don't blame Edgar for this. This is, like, awful for, like, to hear, like, you've been serving this person for, like, years, and she has no living relatives, and she doesn't even leave you a dime, and she's leaving it all to her cats. Her- no, but if they're dead, then then he gets it, so. But it's not, like, her cats. Yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely not a rational decision. No. Not at all. And so he's thinking, I'm going to basically kidnap the kitties and, uh, I guess, throw them in the river. Or, like, get rid of them. Mm -hmm. So that way, like, when she does die, she she automatically has to give it to him no matter what. Right. Right. But, But here's the thing. We find out these cats aren't just normal cats. They're... Shall we say Aristocats? Da 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 da. Do you think that? Well, you, hey, hey, Ben. Do you think because they're cats that are going to inherit a, a fortune that they're they're not quite Aristocats yet, but they'll get there? <laughs> like when they inherit that fortune and they're the sole heirs, then they will truly be Aristocats. The the so this is the prequel to the Aristocats. This it's is... a, it's actually you you can't see it, but a really really small text on Tyler it says Aristocats the prequel, <laughs> <laughs> the beginning, the beginning, <laughs> the or or the or the origin of the Aristocats. Yeah, so it's 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 actually just called Aristocat because the first one, oh, second yeah. one's called Aristocats. But hmm. but like you learn that these kitties, uh, they they're practicing like typical rich people stuff like. Yeah. Uh, Marie is practicing her singing, uh, Berlioz is practicing piano. Who also sings a little bit of the song, but... Yes. He's clearly not classically trained in singing, though. But they are adorable, because they're actually voiced by real children. Yeah. Yeah. But also, Toulouse is practicing his painting. Yeah. He did a, he did a real, for a cat, he did a decent painting of Edgar. Yeah, Legitimately, he'd be able to sell that for millions now. (laughs) Like, back then, back then, in, in, in 1910 uh, France, they'd be like... Oh, that's that sucks. This is the worst piece of art. And that's then garbage. Now, now he could just be like, "Oh, it's postmodern and sell it for <laughs> yeah. a billion dollars." Postmodern and brilliant, and it's painted by a cat. Oh, genius! Genius. But yeah, so to the to, uh, Toulouse, first of all, great name for a cat that paints. Yes. And then and well, they're, they're named after artists, which is yeah, but it's great. 
It's a good sequence. I, and then there's they're, they're practicing their song, uh, uh, the the famous one with the uh, the arpeggios. Yeah, the arpeggio song is a good one. Um, um, that's okay. I mean, no, okay, the song is good. I, I remember it. I, well, the thing about it is, um, it, I always have this weird thing when children sing in mm. Disney films. I mean, there's sometimes like. There's some children singers who are very good at mm-hmm. what they do. A lot of them, not often. And I feel this is the case. It just sounds like kids singing, and mm. they're tell me so, and, oh, no, so me no. Exactly. And the, but then Ava Gabor joins in, and it's salvageable. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what specifically is the problem with the kids singing? Is that they're they're not pitch perfect? Is that it's, what bothers you? Or they're it's they're not trained clearly like they they're still practicing you can clearly well hear. for that song it's completely appropriate well, though because that's literally what they're doing okay it's appropriate for what the film addresses but as a song like okay in the film it's perfectly fine because yeah. it works it's not a song you would listen to outside of the film no absolutely kidding me? Not. i have this on my ipod I listen to this <laughs> every morning when i wake up as you, t- you know, reach down and touch your toes for the day. No, but uh, uh, I think for in the context of the scene, it's perfectly fun. And for yeah. me in particular, I'd prefer kids sing, you know, in their appropriate range and ability rather than trying to do kind of this vocal gymnastics like Christine Aguilera crap. No, and I don't... that sounds right. really fake to me. I, right. I don't expect that. I, I never expect that from kids. And then, yeah, I agree, they should sing in their range. But then it gets... I'm trying to, like, uh, I'm trying to think of an example from, like, uh, older Disney films. Um, it was awkward... Well, I mean, with Sword in the Stone, mm. um, like, the songs aren't bad, but the sing- it's, like, because the the voice of Wart had like three different voice actors and who knows which one of them was singing. <laughs> I, I got one for you actually. What? If you want to get cite an example. Uh, when the kids sing Zippity Doo in Song of the South. Yeah, that's not Little, little Bobby Driscoll. And yeah, you mean Peter Pan? Yeah, yeah. I do mean Peter Pan. Yeah, yeah poor, he was in Song of the South. Peter Pan. We, we don't have to talk about the sad story of no, Bobby no, Driscoll. We're, we're going to talk about how he died penniless and homeless and no one... <laughs> wow! That, I mean, it's not funny. It's really sad, and it's true. And I bring it up every time so Everyone. people understand. Everyone, Peter grew up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's all take a moment of silence for Bobby Driscoll. Oh yeah, that's long enough. Ah, so, second started to ride. Um. So anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, Edgar serves them creme de la creme de la Edgar. And uh, you mentioned this, Ben, and I completely agree, and I think a lot of the internet agrees. That does look delicious. It, yeah. The, I remember specifically in my childhood, I watched him make that, you know, the, that milk concoction and being like, that's really good. I want some of that. Uh, I especially want all the sleeping tablets. I want the yeah. hundreds of sleeping tablets he throws in there. Remember when he almost drinks it? Yeah, yeah he's <laughs> like, whoa, nope. Oh, I better not well, drink this. Here's the thing. Here, here's here's the thing about this scene that cracks me up. He 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 clearly wants to overdose those cats. Yeah, yeah. sleeping pills, so they'll just freaking die. Yeah. Well, luckily they just lick it up and then, like, only a little bit and get sleepy. Because if they would have drank the well, whole thing, they would have been dead. Yeah. Well, yeah. they they uh, they. I mean, if any, there's any evidence, they passed out hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, like, 
But we're uh, don't forget we're introduced to a pivotal character in this story. Oh yes, yes. Rockford. Rockford, who is voiced by Sterling Holloway. Which, if you guys have not heard the other ones, he is our love, our lovely voice actor who is so adorable and great. Oh yes, Sterling Holloway. <laughs> I I like to call him Winnie the Pooh, but you can call him Sterling Holloway. You can call him Winnie the Pooh. You could call him. Uh, Professor Holloway. You could call him Kaw. You could call him the Cheshire Cat. Mm. Um, you can call him the narrator of that penguin story in <laughs> Three Caballeros. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's, where he was, that's where he was Professor Holloway. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, he's, he's done a lot. But in this movie, he's a small mouse. Yep. Uh, who wears a very Sherlock-like outfit. <laughs> For he, most of the film, in the beginning. Yeah, he does it at first. He's naked. Yeah. He's <laughs> purely naked. He's absolutely naked. Well, except he's carrying a cracker. Yeah. He's got a cracker well, he, he's, he sees them having their delicious meal, like the most delicious meal I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I've never eaten anything that looks as good as the, <laughs> what they're drinking. Really? Not like even from uh, Beauty and the Beast? Uh, what did they have in Beauty and the Beast? A lot in Beauty and the Beast. No. Yeah, but this milk like, like, looks like it's bomb. Okay, <laughs> yeah, it does look pretty. It does look. Pretty I bad. would, I would drink this milk even if it had the sleeping pills in it because you, you, I, you, I would you, never you, have anything better than you, this. You, you'd pass out knowing you had something really amazing. <laughs> Just never creme, remember de la creme a la Edgar. <laughs> yeah, I love. I actually do think it's funny that the part where you realize that it's starting to kick in is is. Uh, Roquefort like dips his cracker in and eats it, and then mm-hmm. as he's walking back to his mouse hole, he doesn't even make it all the way there. He just he just falls flat on his face right in front of him, just like crandella crandella. Yeah, just, he's dead. He's, um, he's just yeah, because that stuff is there's so many sleeping tablets in there. That's that should be that should be enough to kill. They mouse. should all be stone dead right now. <laughs> they really should. Oh, someone actually made the recipe, and it's like whole milk, heavy cream, egg yolks, honey, a teaspoon of vanilla, and sprinkle of nutmeg and cinnamon. And Dude. sleeping pills. <laughs> and sleeping pills. <laughs> wow, that that sounds amazingly delicious. Oh my god, the picture looks exactly like the movie. Yeah, you gotta post the we link making, to that. Oh my the, god, yes! Kayla, save that link. We are, I will. And we're gonna we're, we guys, should do we should do a video guys, where we make that. We should go out after we record this and make some <laughs> creme de la creme, creme, creme de la creme de la Edgar. Yes, it, it, with a special <laughs> secret ingredient: sleeping, sleeping pills. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Edgar knocks the cats out and puts them in a basket. And, uh, and, um, you know, it's a covered basket. And he has this whole uh, sequence where he's trying to sneak out of, uh, Paris in the dead of night. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty, you know, the thing, one thing I can say about this movie is, uh, the, the comedy is a little bit more, uh, there's a little bit more comedy in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Even more so than Jungle Book. Like, the, the slapstick. The it's slapstick very, is funny. It's, it's very I, on the nose, the slapstick. Yeah. Yeah, well, but... You know, I I think it works really well, and they they really lean into the fact that it's a cartoon and do a lot of cartoony things, which I'm totally fine with. Yeah, I mean, at first it's like okay, there's there's caricatured, but it's funny the motif of like kind of jazz music mm-hmm. that's through this whole movie, even though it's in again in 1910. 1910. You uh, know that cats invented jazz? Apparently so. Evident, evidently, you would think we would get some at least some ragtime, but yeah. no, it's it's all it's all jazz. No, evidently, like cats were the originators of of jazz culture. Did you? Because they're literal cats. You dig? They're hep cats. You dig? Hep cats. Hep cats. You dig? 
Uh, so, oh, yeah. as, although, here's another weird part. You got Edgar trying to... This part I always found kind of strange, but I, I have an idea why they did this. So, Edgar, like, takes the cats and he's going to... I don't know, drown them or whatever. He's trying to get rid of them. He just wants to get rid of we, he never They never specify how he's going to get rid of them. Just, I think he's just moving the, them away from the house for now. Um, he was going to drive them to honestly, Timbuktu. At this point, he, yeah, he said he was going <laughs> to drive to Timbuktu. Um, I, at this point, I'm still not entirely unsympathetic with Edgar, not going to lie. Yeah, yeah. Still he, think that he's, as long as he's not murdering those cats, although when he made the put all the sleeping towels, I'm like, he's going to kill those cats. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't kill the cats, he just knocked them out real good. Like, yeah. real hard, but that should have... Well, I mean, uh, I'll get around to how intense that is in just a <laughs> But yeah, so we, we uh, as he's driving out of the city, he is uh, has a rendezvous with uh, maybe the, the two best caricatures in this movie. <laughs> so here's another weird part. So you got two dogs. Uh, they're both hounds. Like one's a uh, bloodhound and the Napoleon. other... Napoleon. Napoleon. And then the other is Lafayette, the... Uh, uh, Basset Hound. Basset Hound. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, they live in a haystack. They live in a haystack. <laughs> they both have southern accents. And they're, they're, as far as we know, they're indigenous to France. Like, they, yeah, they, they've looked at it the whole lot. Right. I should also mention Marie. Marie has a British accent. Marie has a British accent, yeah. The two cats have a, um, their mother's Hungarian, and their the two boys have American accents. Yeah. yeah. I think the, uh, what's it, the, uh, who's the little black cat? That's, uh, Berlioz. Uh, Berlioz. Yeah, Berlioz. He, he has, like, kind of, like, an in-between American and slightly, like, kind of French Tinging yeah, that's accent. true. But but uh, Toulouse doesn't even try. No, there's, <laughs> there's no doubt that's an American cat. Like we're an American cat. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but the reason I think this is is because um, so in the film uh, we have uh, the the two act the like cast for um, those. Uh, uh, my gosh, I am blanking. Southern dogs. I'm so sorry. Uh, Napoleon and Lafayette. So, uh, uh, they were voiced by George Lindsay, or, who voices Lafayette, and then Pat Butram, mm. who voices Napoleon. Now, you might know who Pat Butram is because, well, one, he will play a bunch of other uh, Disney characters down the line, and also um, he is, like, uh, for example, he's going to play the sheriff of uh, Rottingham in mm. Robin Hood, and then... Uh, he... Wait, Rottingham? Yeah. It, no, I know it's Nottingham, but... Uh, <laughs> honey, honey, I grew up with... Um, you grew up with men in tights. Yes, so, so I'm going to call it Rottingham. All right. It's kind of like... I, I, um, it's kind of like how like people who saw the Muppet Christmas Carol think that there are t- uh, like the, the, the two... Um, Jacob and Robert Marley! Yeah, there's, there's two Marleys, but there's only one. Uh, as well, but and then also I call it Igor instead of Igor. Oh, that's right. Uh, but what uh, hump? But like <laughs> what hump? Uh, but yeah, it, it, he was. All, he's also in the Rescuers. He's going to be in the Fox and the Hound. Uh, he does a, one of the bullets in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Another one that I was like, hey, I recognize you, was in Back to the Future Part Three, mm. as well as a Goofy movie. Like uh, he, he has a very distinctive voice. Yeah. yeah. But his claim to fame at this time was he was in Green Acres, oh. and not just uh, Green Acres. He did, or well, yeah, just not just. Not he, just Green Acres, Green Acres too. No, <laughs> the, the it, search for Spock. <laughs> guys, it's a TV show. 
Uh, Ava Gabor was also in Green Acres as well. Oh. Who does the voice of Duchess. So I think, like, hey, let's get the two co-stars together in this. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I have to say, I love these voice actors. Yeah. I think I know, they... they're fantastic. It makes no sense why they're there, but it's fantastic. That and it's welcomed. <laughs> The comedy here is amazing. I guess that, like, I, it's hard to say what the reason is they start to chase after Edgar. I think it's because he... They want a motorcycle. Yeah, I guess they just want to, they're like... They're dogs, they're dogs that chase cars. You like know, dogs chase cars. He's, he's, driving a, he's driving a motorcycle with a sidecar, so I exactly. mean, like... Yeah. But and I'm, the Bloodhound has very good ears. He's able to figure out the make and model of the motorcycle and I, that how far great, away it is. I really do like that gag because they hit it three different times during the movie. Mm-hmm. And I really like that aspect of it. Yeah, it, they, and they yeah they don't use them too much. They use them exactly three times, which is the perfect comedy amount. Yes. And then they chase after him and that leads him to like go off the road. I th- what's funny is they use, we were both laughing when they do the circling around the bridge. Yeah. Like, they're yeah, well, this is this is where you could arguably say the movie literally turns into a cartoon. Yeah, and it's fantastic. Like the scholastic here is actually really funny. You get this really. It just it feels like it's almost out of nowhere. But this very the context is very loose. But this chase sequence with these two dogs feels very Warner Brothers. Yeah, just like very like. I mean, the animation is Disney. It's Disney quality, and the music is Disney quality. But it's it's the kind of thing you would see in a Warner Brothers cartoon. Like yeah. just the the amount of just. Like Coyote chasing Roadrunner for no other reason but to catch the Roadrunner. This sure. is the two dogs chasing Edgar for no other reason but to catch Edgar. Well, that that's another interesting thing to bring up is the specifically the animation style because I know you guys had some thoughts about that the the look of this film. Yeah, um, I, I was expecting to be impressed a bit more because that's always been a consistent thing for the most part in the Disney films. I'm like, wow, the animation looks good. It's a bit. Uh, I don't know, like, the animation here is a bit, um, like, it wasn't fully complete Mm. as well. The backgrounds, I mean, they're lovely, but, like, God, when I saw Jungle Book, like, the colors and the detail, I feel like some of that was kind of lost, and it was just kind of tough, because this is set in, like, Paris, France, and you could do so much with it. I mean, look what Ratatouille do, did with it. I mean, what are some of your okay? Well, let, let's let's talk about the backgrounds for a second here because I'm I, I'm a, such a stickler for those, especially mm. after the just feast for the eyes that was Jungle Book. Um, there were some bit like I, like honestly, they're in Paris and and there are moments with that, but the city never felt like during points of it very lively. They're usually out late at night when it's just them. So I guess that, you know, kind of helps. Or they're in the upscale neighborhood where things aren't as active. Yeah. But even when you get shots where they're on the roof looking at Paris, it's not like a it's not like a beautiful glittering city. It's just kind of Well, dark. I mean, Paris was kind of a crap hole in 1910. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you were there around those times, but Were you? I don't like to talk about it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no. Uh, well, the 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 thing. If it was that bad I, then, just wait till a few years pass. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like the one thing I will say is that you know they don't have you know fully optimized electricity at this that, point. So. That's true. So it's it, it's not supposed to light up and glow at night. But yeah, maybe there should have been more like gas lamps or something like that. But I will say there are a couple background moments that do jump out to me. Yeah, uh, a lot of the stuff in the house. Like in in the in in their in their home, uh, is oh, there a yeah. name for the place, the house, the chateau, the, man- the Duchess <laughs> the Manor, the Manor. Yeah, so the Manor is nice, but I think one of my favorite bits is when when it, when Edgar is driving around Paris at night, 
Actually, I think those are some of my favorite moments because it's just dark. You get to just kind of take in the city. Mm -hmm. um, I like the bit where he goes by Notre Dame and yeah. then crosses the, the river. Yeah, that was a good background. Yeah. I love when they when the animators put up like you see him on the bridge in the background. It's kind of in the background. You see him crossing the bridge. And more toward the foreground is like you can kind of see like the moonlight reflecting off the water. Yeah. And I love when they do that in animated movies like this. That that water effect. It's it's uh there's there's a particular there's something about that particular effect in a movie like this that is very Disney to me. Yeah. It always evokes a very nostalgic feeling. Uh, I think of the Blue Bayou at Disneyland a lot of the time when I see stuff like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I especially like the water effects when he's driving the motorcycle around and around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> woo, woo. That part is but, great. Yeah. Well, for me in particular, I, 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 101 Dalmatians came before this, right? Yes. yes. So, for whatever reason, I, I don't know if, if, if I'm making this up in my head, but I feel like the animation styles are very similar as far as... They, somewhat, yeah. They are, but there was a more consistent stylistic tone to 101 Dalmatians. Like, the backgrounds and the characters were, I think, more consistent with each other. Okay. Like, the, the animation just was more cohesive overall. All this right. is... I'm not saying that the animation isn't cohesive here, but it doesn't... Like, like you look at a movie like Lady and the Tramp, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely gorgeous background settings, right? Yeah. And the characters blend in very nicely with their environment. Sure. Here, they it's not like they don't blend together, but it doesn't feel as grandiose. I, yeah. I, I think one of the things with 101 Dalmatians, and I, I know why this is the case, this is Ken Anderson. Like this, So Ken Anderson is the one doing the character designs for the characters at the time. That's why there is a similar look for like Jungle Book and um, Sword in the Stone and... Uh, 101 Dalmatians. Right. Um, I think with 101 Dalmatians, it worked, and they did use that Xeroxing feel. Yeah. Because, as we mentioned before, it does feel like the 60s. And it's set in 1960s London. And it just fits. Like, like it's also, like David said, it's very cohesive. Mm -hmm. With Sword in the Stone... The animation is still very nice. Uh, we we mentioned there was like moments where they decided to choose angles that are unique and it works for it. Um, and the colors are still lovely, but like again, it still does that whole scratchy style that doesn't fit as well. No. Jungle Book, I don't know why, but that works. Mm -hmm. I think because like the backgrounds are so gorgeous and like colorful and they just pop that the characters like. Like kind of just work with it, like the it, it just it just works with this. Did did, did the same guy also do um, Robin Hood? Chances are yes. Ken um, Anderson. We yeah. haven't gotten to Robin Hood yet. That's yeah. actually our next month's film. Oh, cool. Well, because I, I feel like this is just kind of the look for the late sixties and seventies yeah. for for Disney films. There's something a little. There's something a little. For lack of a better word, muddy mm. about this movie. Sure, just a little bit. Like the colors don't seem as vibrant. Yeah. It feels a little more more muted. Um, and that sketchy style is very evident. Like you said, well, the it was, Xerox it was style. a very dark time for Disney. They 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 just lost their leader. Yeah, right. It's still it's still Ken Anderson. Yeah, Ken Anderson worked did so, the work for uh, Robin Hood. So yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. And I do, and I think is Robin Hood. Robin Hood stands out to me a little more, even like stylistically but I have to rewatch it because yeah. again this is not a film that was like this is not a, a like unlike Ben this is not a film that's seared into my brain <laughs> so um should we 
we we we've been here for a while. We we're not we barely scratched the surface with this movie. Oh yeah, we lot. need to continue. Yeah. So, well, so, it, so yeah. So the 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 bat the cart the um the the basket the basket fell out. And there's you a thunderstorm the before the horse. And during the process, it fell out under the bridge. Now, the part that cracked me up is realizing that this whole chase sequence went on for a little while. And meanwhile, there's all these cats having been flung out of the cart, and they're still unconscious. <laughs> yeah. And then if that, if, uh, so I mean, Duchess is fine. She just kind of, she's just kind of collapsed next to the cart or next to the thing, and she wakes up. But Marie is like stuck, is like wedged between two tree branches and just yeah. like I just picture her like flying through the air landing there insensible and just hanging there for several minutes before regaining consciousness yeah, yeah and her, this is her back legs are like you know flopped over the other yeah side. you're like she basically she'll never walk again <laughs> that's what we're saying I'm we're like, gonna put little no. wheels on the back of her uh, I'm glad that none of the cats Poor- fell in the river and drowned no Berlioz fell in the water remember? yeah but he must have landed in shallow water because he didn't drown that's true he he's was- so small though I, I can't can't imagine water that could be that shallow. <laughs> he made it. He's alive. It's true. Maybe he landed on a lily pad. Yeah, it could be. Meanwhile, to, Toulouse is luckily still in the basket. Although, Marie is such a tattletale. She's like, Mama, he's been here the whole time. Like, as though, yeah. like, I need to get my brothers in trouble. This and this is kind of a This is kind of a running theme with this movie. The siblings kind of poking at each other. Yeah. Well, it's it's oh, and Toulouse, specifically Toulouse likes the idea of being an alley cat. A bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, specifically the the uh, uh, Marie and uh, what's his face the, the the name that I keep forgetting Berlioz. Berlioz. Yeah, Berlioz. They they get at it a lot more than Toulouse does with any of the others. He's, he's really chill. That's a chill. Toulouse cat. is pretty chill. Yeah, but we also have a famous cameo in this scene. That's right. Tell us about that one. So there's a the, there's a frog that's hanging out in this uh what's it a river? Or it's a it's a or it's a like it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a stream something like that. A creek. Yeah. Say it's a creek. Sure. It's a the, so there's a frog that's hanging out in this little creek and it startles the cats. It goes and uh, when I was looking up on IMDb different cast members from the film, it, it listed Mel Blanc as the frog <laughs> in this scene. So. It, it, I mean, there there definitely was a Warner Brothers touch in this film. I mean, it's not the first time Mel Blanc has shown up in a bit part in one of these films. Really? Yeah, he's he's been a recurring he's a recurring voice. Cool. <laughs> it's Apparently like wait, we need an extra for really voice. really small parts. Honestly, Mel Blanc. I feel he like was the, he was the Frank Welker of the time. Well, yeah, yeah, basically. They, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Oh yeah, just like okay, we need a voice. Get Mel. He was the D. Bradley Baker. <laughs> we need we need someone who can make weird animal noises. Get me Mel Blanc. So, yeah, and so they're under the bridge, and the kittens are like, what's going to happen to us? I don't know. Well, luckily, luckily it's the morning, and we are introduced to Phil Harris. I mean, Thomas O'Malley. He has a longer name than that, but it's... They O'Malley, keep it just, the alley cat. He has a song, and it's... And yes, it's Phil Harris, so it's basically just Baloo again. Yeah, but and, it's delightful. I, I think every... Like, when he shows up in this film... The uh, you know the stars aligned, the the planets all <laughs> showing a light down on this film. He 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 was the second coming. He he did it. He he is a very likable guy. Yeah, and a very likable voice actor. And it, yeah, he's a lot of fun to watch and all that. I'm not gonna lie, he makes this whole film even more anachronistic. But other than that, I mean, he is very likable. Yeah. Well. Uh... What's what's really interesting about him is that uh, from from my childhood, I remember him being a lot sleazier and a little bit more um, 
you know, not into being around the kids, but I was completely mistaken. He is, oh, yeah. He is not bothered at all by these children. He is, he is very, you know, he's very forward with, uh, uh, is it Marie? What's, no, no, that's the Duchess. Duchess. Duchess, yeah. He's very forward with Duchess, but, you know, he's respectful of her children, which is kind of yeah. shocking to me. Well, he's respectful of he's respectful of her. He's trying to he's definitely flirting and trying oh, sure. to put the moves on her. Oh no, there's no doubt. But he's even when he's like doing that, but even when he's doing that, he's not like he's yeah. never pushy, you know? Yeah. No. He's he's surprised when they show up, but he never shows resentment towards them, no. which is which in a lot of movies like this you see that where that that's the struggle is that Oh, she's got kids. I can't hang he's out a little, with her. He's a little bit put out. It's like, oh no, she, she's got kids. That must mean there's a there's a Mister Duchess yeah, somewhere. Mr. Duchess. Yeah. yeah, maybe he was just a little bit concerned. Or yeah, there's there's another cat in her life. And but um, but, but this this but reinforces. He still helps them. Yeah, he, still... he does. Yeah, because he's a good guy. Takes him on a magic carpet ride. And by which, by the way, well. So he stops a car by just jumping. <laughs> that is so. Maybe my fun. Maybe my favorite moment in the movie. That part no, is pretty. No, cool. no. The, it, it comes later. The one where he like later when he they're in the car. Yeah. That's the part that makes me laugh the most. It's a it's a, like a delivery truck, right? Yeah, it's a delivery truck. Okay, so that's well, for for cream. It's a cream truck, it's, and it's going to Paris. Yeah. So they hop in. Uh, so the. Uh, yeah, the cat's hopping. Oh, he knows it's car. going to Paris. We have no idea, but well, the first, the first, uh, the first time uh, we have a little, we've been keeping, we kept tabs. This is the first time Marie gets in trouble. Yeah, cat, she's and almost ruins everything. I yeah. feel like the, a lot of times she's yelling, "Mama, Mama!" You should just take a drink every time she says the word "Mama." But uh, yeah, she falls yeah. out of the out of the truck. O'Malley saves her. All in Duchess even falls more in love with him. Yeah. Also, this is an an instance in the film where we get a very famous French phrase that is something that French people never say. Sacre bleu. Sacre bleu. Sacred blue. Okay. Cool. <laughs> That's something that all French people say. Oh because they don't they like sleep on the in the car and then uh, the next morning like they're eating cream. Uh, no, no, they're just sitting in the car and, and like, well, <laughs> so it, he gets them onto the car and then like he's waving goodbye and then Marie falls out. He brings Marie back onto the car and they're sitting there and he's like, by the way, here's some food. And there's, oh, awesome cream. And they're starting to eat it. And the, the, the guy who's driving the truck <laughs> looks back and is like, what the hell? There's cats in my truck. And he stops the so, car. I think and, the funny part is like when, that's the funny part is like he's like stopping the car and it's like the, the. And uh, oh, uh, right. O'Malley's about to fall off. He's grabbing on, like, oh my gosh! Yeah. He's is experiencing ten thousand G's of force <laughs> hanging on. To the... <gasps> it's amazing, though. Yeah, it's a good. It, that's another really laugh out loud moment yeah. in this film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they get they have to run. They can't mm-hmm. be on the car anymore. So they go to trot, cross a. Is it, did they cross the railroad trestle next, or do we go back to? Um, yeah, no, they're the the. Yeah. Wait, well, I mean, real quick, we do go back to the house. Oh yeah, because she did, like the madam found out that they're gone, mm-hmm. and she's devastated. And then Rockford is like, "Oh no!" and goes out to look for the kittens. Is he it actually, it Rockford? actually. Rockford. Rock. Yeah, you know the detective Rockford. Oh oh oh. 
<laughs> the, you're talking about the mouse. The mouse. I was yeah. like, yeah, I was like, like you no, you know, like the the. He's the, got the, his the files. Yeah, the Rockford files. He's got. Yeah. He's got all those Ro- files. He's the, looking the, for Ro- the Roquefort files. Roquefort. Yeah. Ro- oh my God, we are making this show. This is the great. Roquefort the Roquefort files. files. Yeah, this does, this doesn't exist. I want there to be a crossover where where Roquefort meets uh, Basil of Baker Street. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, wrong time period. But yeah, so you can get Jim Cummings to voice Roquefort though. Totally. Oh totally. yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Roquefort, uh, it, it actually he actually that's a word he actually puts on his own detective outfit. He actually ha- goes out to go look for the kit the kittens and Duchess. And but later, the, important, and- the important thing is, but the reason what prompts this is when he um, oh yeah he, he, went, he went in the detective outfit first to go look for them, but then when he gets back, he hears Edgar comes into the barn being or the stable being all happy and tells Fru Fru. That he just straight up just starts talking to Fru Fru. Yeah. He's just you're just a you're just a dumb animal. Yeah. I'm just gonna brag to you because I can. I kidnapped these cats. It's on the front page of, of the, the newspaper. newspaper because evidently there's nothing more interesting in Paris in <laughs> 1910. It's the same the same people would eventually go on to publish about how 15 puppies were stolen so. yeah. on the front newspaper in London. Man, so, yeah, nothing more exciting. Than Man, man, slow, the, slow news day, man. Yeah. yeah, slow news days all around in that part of in, in that time period. Yeah, well, but he's. I, I love the, the, the audacity where he like, goes up to this horse. He's like, "Can you keep a secret?" Of course you can. Oh, look at this. His, his biggest mistake was not realizing that animals in this universe are fully sentient. I mean, did he not unable. see the cats playing piano and painting? That was. Nope. Well, okay, the question is, do you not see that? And then do we under, or do no, we sympathize with him a little more? Or do we know he saw that and he knows the cats are sentient and he just doesn't care? No, I think... Because then he's a murderer. Here's yeah. a... Here's well, a I mean, he's still a murderer, even if... Well, he, but then again, I, we don't know if he was going to kill the cats. I think he just wanted to dump them so far out in the countryside they wouldn't find their way back home. Could be. I think the thing is, it's like he does see these cats messing around and all that. But he's just thinking, God, this woman just lets her cats do anything. Yeah. And it's like, and he can't say anything is because she's rich. Here's a, actually, come to think about it, it's 1910. She probably went to the newspapers like, put this in the front newspaper. She well, knows the newspaper men. Oh, yeah. yeah. She, she has enough money that she'll pay the front news. Put these in. I must find my cats. Well, she's the original Carmen, so we have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Famous, famous retired opera, opera stars, cats stolen. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a headline in there. Yeah, for real. But, but Edgar, Edgar's got this all of, Edgar's got a lot of audacity. Just being like, yes, I am the the perfect crime. Didn't leave a, oh no, I forgot my hat and my, I lost my hat and my umbrella. umbrella. I have to go get And also the, the, the sidecar and the bassinet. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah, he left a bunch of stuff. And that slapstick chase sequence. And has to go back for them. But he yeah. has to go back two nights. So, um, anyway. Uh, yeah, back, back to the cats. Back to the cats. They're, cool they're, they're crossing the train tracks and <laughs> realize, oh no, train's actually coming. You better- Whoa, train! They're on, a, they're, on a, they're on a trestle bridge and oh. uh, they go under the bridge and they're like, oh, we're okay. No, Marie fell off the bridge, landed in the water. Like, yeah, and so uh, O'Malley being the shining beacon of hope and goodness of this film. Yes. Leaps down in the most beautiful... It's an epic leap, too. Yeah, yeah. it's the most beautiful swan dive I've ever seen. Jumps in, you no seen, hesitation. Th- there was a deleted scene in this movie where several frogs on the riverbank all have the placards that say 10. <laughs> yeah, they're all Mel Blanc. They're all Mel Blanc. All voiced by Mel Blanc. <laughs> uh, he actually saves Marie... 
But he's still in the river. He's like, I'll meet you downstream. Where they're greeted by two geese. The other oh. best part. The other best part of this movie. And Romancini did the music. Here, you can't tell me otherwise. I, I can tell it you does, otherwise, but... Because it was George Bruns. Yeah, it was George Bruns. So but like, Henry Mancini was very influential in this period, so I can imagine it was like... You know what? We, the, need, we need a little touch of the Mancini right here. We need like a baby elephant walk here, but we don't have any baby elephants. Oh, we got some geese. We'll do yeah. a geese version of it. I, I love this this song, by the way. Yeah, this yeah. music, this this motif for them is great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they're great, and, and and they're the only characters whose accents are explained because they're tour. They're two goose sisters, and they're tour. They're tourists from England. They actually do say that, like they're from they're from England, and they're touring. Which they're I- they're to meet their uh, uncle. Waldo. Uncle Waldo. Who we'll get to in a minute. And he's in oh, Paris yeah. somewhere. Um, but they uh, they end up they first they, they they kind they kind of save O'Malley. Well, they're trying to teach him how to swim because they're like, oh, they look at him hanging onto this vine trying to get back on the land. He's like, oh, he's trying to learn how to swim. Let's go help him because we're geese and we know how to swim. Yep. And then they cut the the vine and he drowns for. What seems like ten minutes straight, but <laughs> <laughs> I like when they do the bit when they realize they they did it wrong and he's not surfacing. They're just like, oh, and then they have to duck, yeah. come back up deeper. <laughs> they they they're a great comic comic duo, honestly, yeah. in this film. Yeah, and they're 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 like, you did really well for your first time, you know. <laughs> so good. You're yeah. swimming splendidly. Splendidly. And then they're reunited with the uh, Duchess and all and the, the kittens. kittens. But and then the, the ducks are like, "We'll go take you to see. We're going. We know how to get to Paris. We'll take you to meet our Uncle Waldo." Proceed them to all of them doing the the duck walk. Oh, they they do find out. They think that uh, they think O'Malley is um, is the is the husband, husband but yeah. she's not. And then they're like, "Oh, scandal." Yeah. So, so I figured it was it, 1910 times. Was, yeah, I, I figured out why uh, why these characters exist. So, um, they are voiced by Carol Shelley and Monica Evans. Mm-hmm. Um, their claim to fame is they played uh, these sisters, uh, the Pigeon Sisters, um, in uh, the Odd Couple. This includes the movie, TV series, and Broadway production. Oh, um, and they're they have that similar sort of chatty, like oh dear, da, 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 da. like they have that really good chemistry, and I think. Probably th- this was seen by some of the Disney animators. They're like, yeah, I think we. They're like, it. they're pigeons. Let's make them geese. Yep, but yeah, the character they they play the pigeon sisters in the Odd Couple. Also, and- is there some? Isn't there something where like O'Malley goes like, oh, you? Uh, oh, he calls them chicks, and they're like, we're not chicks, chicks we're geese. No, he really. Does I it. thought you were swans. It's funny because he's like a beatnik in 1910. Yeah, he's he is not at all into these geese being around. He's in a he's in a he's in a they're aristocrats, but he's a knacker cat. Yeah, he's a knacker cat. He's not a knacker captainistic. He was a he he. I, I have a I have a thought. Maybe he and all of his uh, alley cat friends were accidentally sent back in time from like the from like the. Late sixties. Yeah, Merlin sent him there. Mer- yeah. yeah, Merlin would because he lives life backwards, right? He's he's traveling backwards in time. No, I think so. he travels forward. Does or yeah, because he's from he's from the future. He lives. He's you know it, it literally makes no sense, so it doesn't matter. But Arthurian yeah. legend is weird. You it, guys. it's re- it's really weird, and <laughs> we can do an entire another podcast about <laughs> the messed up things that Merlin does, but. 
we won't get the into that now. Avengers of Merlin. But he, uh, if I remember correctly, the, the the official lore, I think at least for the animated version, is that he lives, he's living time backwards. So whereas Arthur and everyone is going forwards in time, he's already been forwards and he's moving the opposite direction. Oh. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Time travel. So so like he like uh, he wakes up. Uh, so it's like he lives through the day and then wakes up and it's the day before. I think so. Either that or he somehow is talking and uh, and moving backwards, but that's actually forwards to people in the present. You know, if that makes any sense. Mm, makes sense to mm-hmm. me. Uh, uh, so whoa. So, moving on. Uh, they they uh, go to they go to Paris. Yeah, they make it to Paris. We meet Uncle Waldo. Uncle He's Waldo. He's drunk. Who's the best character in this film, except for O'Malley, who is... <laughs> the other best character Who in is film. the literal second coming of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Thompson voices uh, Uncle Waldo. And if you guys uh, remember, he's the voice of White Rabbit and Do- the Dodo Bird in Alice in Wonderland, Mr. Smee and... Captain! Captain! I'll save you, Captain! And he is awesome, and sadly, um, he, he this is his last role. He passed away. Really, this was the last one. He passed away a little year, uh, a little bit after a year. After. No, he died in the recording booth, just <laughs> along with that French singer. <laughs> they were right next to each other. A lot of oh my people gosh. just keeling over. <laughs> but yeah, this was his last role. Oh, that's um, too bad. But he's yeah. he's a great voice. Oh voice. yeah, I love his voice. So. <laughs> yeah, but so this there there was a period in Disney history where it was totally okay for characters to be drunk, and they actually made comedy mm-hmm. out of drunkenness, and it's amazing. I mean, being drunk is funny, but I mean, <laughs> unless you're an alcoholic like Uncle Waldo here, who has never seen it not inebriated. By the way, does anyone else feel like this scene, while still entertaining, is very odd and doesn't factor into the rest of the movie that much? Nope. Well, it's just that they, they just they, let's go meet Uncle Waldo, and they go meet Uncle Waldo. They have a scene and then they're gone, and we never see them again. We see them one more time. I see them at the very end after everything's been resolved. Well, basically, their purpose is to get basically get them to Paris, get them to Paris, yeah. and then Uncle Waldo's just there to like say, "Well, we, we're not joining you anymore on this journey." Schwarzenegger so. showed up for this scene. It was like, "Get to us to Paris. Got to get to Paris right now." <laughs> um. So. Oh, um, they do that, and uh, O'Malley's like, yeah, I kind of like Uncle Waldo. Cut back to Edgar on his quest to uh, get his hat and, and umbrella back and, and all his other get, stuff. And we get more comedy with yes. Napoleon and Lafayette. This, this, is the, this, is, this part's even better than before, because it's him just stealthily trying to steal these things back, but he's doing <laughs> a bad job. He's doing, he's doing a terrible job, but also... It doesn't help that this bloodhound knows exactly the type of shoes that he's wearing. Yeah. Size. It's like... Yeah. And they're clumsy, but he's even... The the butler is even clumsier to to not be able to fool these dang dogs. Well, the funny part is, like, by the way, these dogs have all of his items. Like, uh, 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 Lafayette sleeping in the basket and... Napoleon is sleeping in the um, motor car yeah, the with, 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 with the like bowler hat on his head and the, and the umbrella over him. Yeah, that he calls his bumber shoot, which is you know, I believe the my correct term. Shoot. And then I love it. Oh, there's my baby basket. <laughs> my baby basket. 
That's a good scene. Yeah. So yeah. Th- there's a lot of fun humor in here, but basically, the, the, the basic point of this scene is that he gets the evidence back so he won't be prosecuted in French court. Edgar, I'm actually, I'm actually kind of, is it weird in this whole scene? I'm, I, I, once again, I can't really fault Edgar for being like, I literally just, I worked for this woman my whole life. I just want to live, a, live comfortably and get what I deserve and well, I not think, have her just give it to the cats because the cats aren't going to use it. Yeah, well, I think, so, so while I agree with his reasoning, I, I think what makes him an evil character is that it's all financially motivated. It's, he's, uh, all, his only motivation it, is money. Greedy. Yeah, it, he he suffers from one of the fatal sins of man, which is greed. I thought he suffered from pride because he also his pride got him in trouble with the horse. <laughs> Look, I'm proud of being the front page of the paper as a catnapper. This is true. That 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 was the fatal flaw that, that took him down. That was the fatal yeah. flaw. If he hadn't said a word, you you, you committed one his of external the sins. motivation is money, but his internal motivation is pride. Yeah, you committed one of the sins. That's okay. Two of them, you're going down. You're getting sent in a locked trunk to Timbuktu. Ah, the good old Timbuktu trunk. Yeah. Uh, O'Malley takes our friends to a crazy place where there's some swinging cats. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's his pad. It's his, uh, which also, again, very 60s. He has has this pad. He has this, you know, abandoned house that he uses as his pad to crash. But guess what? There's all these other stereotypes that are hanging out in his pad who play jazz? Well, yeah, jazz was invented by cats in 1910. This was established in the universe, and more specifically invented by this band who is led by Scat Cat, voiced by Scatman Crothers. Scatman! It's not Scatman John, though. Could you imagine? It's Scat... In in Aristocats 2, at a hypothetical Aristocats 2, they they should have gotten Scatman John. Oh, sure. So, you... uh, One of you mentioned, like, hey, he looks a lot and is, like, a lot like Louis Armstrong, right? (laughs) Yeah. He actually was supposed to be voiced by Louis Armstrong. Like, Louis Armstrong was scheduled to voice him, and then... Uh, the character was designed to look like Armstrong. And well, he also plays a trumpet. and Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, his physique and even the gap between his teeth. Yeah. However, Armstrong was able to record because of his illness. Oh. Uh, he was replaced by Scatman Crothers and was directed to pretend you're Satchmo. Wow. Well, uh... <laughs> There, there's vague tinges of racism there, but I mean that he's the least racist of these stereotypical oh, characters. Yeah. Oh yeah, and there's nothing wrong with. I mean, I like I like scat I like scat cat. Yeah, it's great. Um, also, I, I do like Russian Russian the Russian bass playing cat who's voiced by Thurl Ravenscroft. Yeah, yeah, anything any anything with Thurl is a, is a good time. Oh yeah. yeah. But then we get some characters, some really shady characters that may. Made me to be blackballed from history. Oh, and it was actually. Are we going to talk about the the Chinese stereotype cat? Yeah. I mean that's yeah that's the one of the main ones. Oh no. Okay, so in the song, okay, so they do end up singing the song "Everybody Wants to Be a Cat," which is the most famous song from this film. Oh yeah, and let's be honest, it is the best song. It is. It is pretty catchy. Everybody wants to be a cat because the cat's the only cat that knows where it's at. Something, something, something about a welcome <laughs> Things that rhyme with cat. <laughs> anyway. So there is a line in there uh, where the uh, Siamese cat... Of course it's the Siamese cat. <laughs> They're Siamese and if you please. And they've taken this out of... Or if you don't please. Out of a future recording. What the... 
What is up with you, Disney? Um, <laughs> I mean, as bad as Disney was, I think a lot of Warner Brothers cartoons were way worse. Yeah, yeah, I know. But... <laughs> we don't talk about that. Oh boy. So in the, so in the there is a point in the song, and they do take this out of future recordings, and I think like in the DVD and stuff like that, they sure. get it, it gets taken out. But there's a point where. Uh, like, there's a rockin' out bit, and the Siamese cat has chopsticks. Yeah, he pulls out chopsticks. And he's playing on the piano, and he says... <laughs> he, he starts listing different Chinese food dishes. And then says, fortune cookies which always is, wrong. Which is also not a Chinese, actual Chinese food dish. That's Shanghai, Hong Kong, egg, foo, young. Yeah. Fortune yeah. cookie always wrong. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it was... Oh. It was... It, <laughs> it was aggressive. <laughs> it, 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 it took away a little bit of the shining light that uh, O'Malley brought to this film. But, uh, but guess who brings it back in a weird way? Duchess. Yeah. Duchess Although, starts playing the harp and says straight up in the first line, if you want to turn me on. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa. And that's the, when it hit me. That's when all, all that headcanon I was building up about her going out and having a wild side with alley cats yeah. came full circle. She's like, no, she just straight up goes out and is a party animal. Yeah. But Act comes back and acts refined. No wonder she hit it off with O'Malley so quickly. Yeah, well, she, she, she gels. I, she gels I, with the alley cats. I feel like she was a... You know, a, a stage performer in you know like taverns and stuff for cats. Because <laughs> you, you know, you know, there's that kind of like cat speakeasies. Yeah, well, well, uh, remember the character that um, I can't think of her name, but the 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 female performer in Blazing Saddles. Oh, uh, Lillian von Stupp. Yeah, yeah, she I, she feels like that type of performer to me. I'm tired of playing the game. <laughs> Madeline Kahn. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love Madeline Kahn. Oh, yeah. I miss her. What a great talent. Yeah, her and, her and um, Flames. Gilda Radner were uh, two. Flames, flames, flames on the sides of my face. Actually, uh, I mean, we won't discuss this, but her final film actually was a Disney film. She uh, did a voice in uh, A Bug's Life. What? Yeah, she played the voice of the butterfly. Oh, my God. I know, right? <laughs> Her and uh, Mr. Smith from uh, uh, the, the um, you know, the Robinsons Lost in Space. Yeah, I, uh, I forget the act. That's right. Never fear. Smith is here. So, yeah, uh, moving on. <laughs> so, 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 I'm like, I like how, I, I like, I like, for some reason, this bit where she's singing and doing the bed with the cats, I'm like, no. I, I kind of like the subtext about Duchess that's there through the whole movie. Maybe I'm just headcanoning this, but... She's got three kids. The father's nowhere in sight. Mm-hmm. She gets. She's immediately smitten, like almost right away, but in a, in a very like sincere, genteel way with yeah. with O'Malley. She's not like. She's not like. Oh yes, um, I'm super into you right off the bat. But you can tell that she's not like discouraging his advances. Also, we didn't talk about how that every time he's like, "Wow, look at those eyes," and then it zooms in on her <laughs> eyes. Oh, it's yeah. the most terrifying thing you've ever seen in your life. I- I'm not gonna lie. Uh, well, okay. So all the cats have human-like eyes. I mean, uh, like uh, O'Malley's l- cat-like look is based off of Phil Harris. So, which is why he also kind of looks like Baloo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. But um, uh, it now if they did do it like cat, like cat-like eyes, it'd be kind of creepy throughout the thing. But it's still kind of creepy when they're zooming in and it's human-like eyes on a cat's. 
But and they're blue eye, big blue eyes too. Yeah. And normally, eyes. normally, like when we see the cats from the normal perspective, they just have like black pupils. Yeah. But when it zooms in specifically into her face, she's got full, you know, the 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 full eyes with the, you know, the stuff around them. Big eyelashes. Yeah, big eyelashes. I'm I'm blanking out on all the names for all of these technical things, but you you know what I mean. I know what you yeah. mean. So it's just interesting. I just think it it, it kind of I, in a weird way endeared Duchess to me more as a character, knowing that Iris. she's a cat. Iris. Iris. That's there the it is. But it endeared me more to know that she's a cat with a wild side, despite being a pampered rich. Yeah, cat. that. But also endears me to O'Malley too, because um, after all the, the 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 partying ends, the cats leave. They tuck in the little kittens. And then they go have a little private talk out on the uh, the the. And, and they admit their the feelings roofs. to each other, and they. It's and he's like, "I'll be their dad." Like he straight up is like, "I'll be I'll be a gentleman." Oh, and I should mention, we should mention, we haven't really talked about it. He has a great relationship with the kids. Oh yeah. yeah. Like he, uh, like he's he's very supportive of them, but obviously he saves Marie, who constantly screws up all the time. Yeah. And almost gets him in trouble. So like, but and, the, and and all the kids really want him to be their dad. They yeah. want they want a father figure in their life. Yeah. yeah. So, but Duchess says, "I can't leave, Madam," because and, and she'll never accept you. You did filthy well, animal. I, 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 he he. They they don't even entertain that possibility though that he would she would take him in. That's yeah. the thing because he's idea, an alley cat. It's the idea like he she could stay with O'Malley. And he would be their dad, but she's like, I can't leave Madam. She's taking good care of us. And he's a little, there's like a little bit of like, man, humans don't, humans don't care. They're just, they're just pets to them. You should live like me. You should I live feel free. Like, I feel like there's a dark checkered past with, with O'Malley and humans. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he probably had like someone who did take care of him once and then abandoned him. So he, he probably has some sort of <laughs> resentment towards yeah. people. Yeah. I was just thinking of this song from Toy Story Blends. I was thinking exactly of that. Yeah. No, absolutely. He there's a definitely like a Jesse undertone to his character. Yeah, for sure. But but here's the wonderful thing. He doesn't like pressure or anything. He says, "I'm going to miss you," and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, you're such a gentleman." Yeah. And their tails cross. That part is really cute. They're like leaving together on the rooftop, and their tails intertwine, and like the kids are all disappointed. They're like, "Aw." We want him to come be our honorary dad. Yeah. But, like, yeah, they go back to Duchess's place. He, I, I, it was the first time you realized, oh, he doesn't know how rich he is. Yeah. He sees their house. Yeah, it's, it's the next day, by the way. They woke him up. They go, they go back to their place, and he looks at it. He's like, oh, my God. <laughs> this house is incredible. Wow, no wonder you don't want to leave. But so then, uh, what's his face? The little mouse? Roquefort. Roquefort sees them coming and is trying to tell them that, you know, don't uh, come in here. Yeah, Edgar's here. Edgar's here. He's going to try and, you know, put you in a sack. And so they they get let in by Edgar, who's like, oh, uh, where were you guys? And then puts them in a sack while O'Malley un- unknowingly is like, oh, man, I'm going to miss them and walks away. And it's and uh, then the uh, Roquefort goes out and tells O'Malley what's going on. And he's like, all right, go find my alley cat friends. I'm going to go. Try and save him. And, and Roquefort's like, but I'm a mouse, and I'm going into an alley. These cats pet- are too refined to catch mice. If I go anywhere else... Um, by the way, it is it is funny to say that, that Edgar throws them into a, into a stove. <laughs> <laughs> like, he he doesn't a- turn it on, though. No, he doesn't. He hasn't... No, but, like, he puts them in the sack. He's like, oh, no, the madam's coming. He and hides them in a stove, because... Uh- I love the bit where he, she's like, oh, I heard them, I heard them, where are they? She goes out and sits calling. I was like, allow me. Yeah, kitty, 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 kitty. 
I love the uh, specifically. I love the animation on his face throughout the movie. He has very interesting expressions. Oh yeah, he has a very. um... Sorry, Fraser's calling. Oh no worries, I'll pause it. Oh, I hear the blues are calling. I hear the blues are calling. Scrambled and eggs. Scrambled and ramble eggs. And Gracie is cute. Baby. Okie dokes. Sorry. No worries. Please continue. Um, this leads us toward the bit where Roquefort goes to the cats. So we get the cat band back again. And he's trying to figure out what the cat, like, O'Malley's name is. So that way they know. It's like, because O'Malley's like, just say my name. They'll, they'll, they'll trust you after that. Yeah, but he, like a stupid idiot, he forgot the name. <laughs> it's like, why did I trust that O'Malley? O'Malley? Yeah, like they're they're straight up about to murder this mouse Until he for finally, sustenance. And they finally, when he finally reveals, no, it's uh, no, you got to understand, duchess and kittens are in trouble. We need your help. And then finally, they they're going over, and there's an amazing battle between the cats and yeah, Edgar, is, and it's pretty comedic timing here. Okay? Oh yeah, yeah, the stakes don't feel super high, high but it's it's that's why I'm glad about it. this movie is actually. Not like it doesn't feel like a high stakes movie. Yeah. Things feel actually very, feel pretty relaxed. It's a very good, you know, chill kids movie type of thing. You know, yeah. But uh, uh, but yeah, the the just like the, there's cats flying everywhere. And... I, I like the part where like Roquefort is like they. So the uh, Duchess and oh, yeah. Duchess and the kittens are in a trunk that's going to be sent to Timbuktu, and it's locked with a uh, uh, combination lock. Mm-hmm. And Roquefort is like trying to listen to try and open it. And the cats are all fighting Edgar, and he's like, quiet! And they all stop, including Edgar, who must have heard this rat shout stop, or quiet. Yeah, So, but everything is super quiet for like a few seconds, and he gets it, and he, what does he say? It, no, it just opens, and then they continue. Yeah, yeah they really pick fighting. up as if nothing happened. It's such good, it's like one of my, it's like the third best comedic beat in the whole movie. Yeah, it's, it's really great, but it also brings up an important point. Can he hear these animals talking? Yeah, how much, again, how much does Edgar actually did, know about the sentience of animals? Did he hear a loud squeak and stopped? Or did he hear quiet and was like, oh, I better stop? <laughs> Is he, was Edgar Dr. Doolittle the oh whole my time? God. Oh. But like, he's evil Dr. Doolittle? Yeah, he doesn't he can care. Hear animals talk and he doesn't care. He, <laughs> he, he's completely unsympathetic to the animal's plight. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the fact that he he told Fru 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 just to be spiteful spiteful because he knows that yeah. she can understand him. There's also there's also a little beat that we uh, that we missed earlier that that I just wanted to bring up real sure. quick was that uh, er, like way earlier in the film when they're first abandoned, um, Toulouse uh, brings up how he had this dream that Edgar like dumped them at the river. Oh yeah, and then and then he was like, oh wait, it wasn't a dream. We're here at the river, and they're all like, shut up, Toulouse. And then when they get locked in the, in the stove, he's like, I told you Edgar was evil. He's <laughs> like, wow. This, yeah, that's right. Really brought it back around, that's buddy. That's right. That part was so great. I got to say, the, the, again, I, I have some feelings about this movie, but one of the feelings that is overwhelmingly positive is the, 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 the comic timing is actually very good. Yeah. It's a very good bit. Still brings around some genuine laughs. I'm, yeah. I'm just oh, yeah. shocked. Yeah, me too. So Edgar ends up getting locked in the trunk, and uh, the trunk actually gets shipped off to Timbuktu. He's, he's, he has a bucket on his head, a, a one of those horse uh, neck braces around his body. Yeah. He, he will be in a very uncomfortable position for 
maybe weeks. Yeah, he'll be dead by the time he gets they there. The, they open the trunk. They signed oh, his right, the, Oh, oh, they signed oh. his death warrant. I like they the, really did. I, yeah. I, I, Honestly, I like, it, okay. If that didn't kill the cats, I'm just thinking this is all in cartoon logic. So he's going to be alive, being sent to Timbuktu, but very uncomfortably. Yeah. yeah. And here's the and the here's the the ironic bit. Yeah. We jump to a little while later. Uh, uh, they're taking. They're having a photo session with all the cats. O'Malley. And being O'Malley. O'Malley, the bright shining star that he is, <laughs> has been added to the family. And, and he's got a little boat tie. Yeah. And he's now the father. And like a Duchess and him are now together. Uh, I love I when love- they brush his hair. Like he cut like this like like tuft of hair over his eyes. It's great. Yeah. Her lawyer is there, and she's like, "Okay, signing out, Joe Butler." It's like it's sad that he left. He didn't know that I was going to give him money. Yeah. Like, like evidently, she had it written into as well that he was going to get a, a very serviceable amount of money. And but like, of course, he didn't hear the whole bit and just heard, "Oh, her whole fortune's going to the cats." Nope, he was he didn't up. think he was going to get a dime. So once again, it was a misunderstanding. Yeah, he should have listened better. It's what they call a comedy of errors, as it were. This is this is a very strong comedy. What if the Aristocats was done as a Shakespeare play? The script and iambic pentameter. <laughs> Uh, oh, oh. Behold, I, my friends, I lay out welcome mat because everybody wants to be a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up a, a line that has stuck with me throughout the years. Um, is when, uh, b- before Edgar gets thrown in the trunk and shipped off to his inevitable death in Timbuktu, <laughs> if not from being starved to death from the, whatever disease he may contract. Oh my gosh. But uh, he uh, he's standing on the case beating cats off with like a staff. Oh, that's right! And he says, I, if, I will send you to Timbuktu if it's the last thing I do! <laughs> and that like line, for whatever reason, really stuck with me as a kid. I, I vividly remember being like, that's a good line, I like that. <laughs> You know what? I wonder what things are actually like in Timbuktu. I, me too. Because I automatically assumed he's, it's just like riddled with disease. And like, Because it's Africa. Well, it, well that part it's, it's, 19, it's 1910. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's 1910 Africa. So, yeah. I'm not surprised it would go there because like British colonial Africa? Could be. And and uh, the, the only reason I made that assumption is because it, it's assumably a bad place to send the cats. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... Cats will not survive. I'm not trying to be. uh, uh, I'm not trying to say Timbuktu is a bad place, but it might have been a bad place in 1910. I guess. Oh, maybe at least a remote place. Yeah, yeah, Um, it's very remote. Oh, and of course, the the madam replies that she thinks that uh, they got to give space for for Duchess to potentially have more kittens. Yeah. O'Malley's like, wait a minute, what? And Duchess like leans in. I'm like, oh yeah, heck yeah, it's happening. (laughs) We're, We're gonna. We. I'm gonna. We're gonna produce some. Some offspring, and then it's going to produce jealousy because we're going to have the the stepkids versus the new. Oh no! The half siblings. Aristocats too, the new breed. <laughs> but then it turns out she's like, or the new litter. He, I guess he's like, what's that? Uh, there's music that starts to play. It's like the everybody wants to be a cat music, mm-hmm. and the um. What's like, that swinging beat? Oh, I love this music. Uh, and she's like, yes, my home is going to be open for all the alley cats. I'm like, and her... Her crazy cat lady level. Has been... She has reached pivotal... Full cat lady. 
It, it has been complete. The no singularity lady, has been No achieved. cat lady can compare now to She's her. reached peak cat lady. But also horses and mice are welcome to the party as well. Apparently yeah. horses and mice also want to be cats. Oh, oh my god, we almost skipped over the best joke in the entire movie, though. What's that? So, Remind after uh, <laughs> Rockford... <laughs> Rokeford convinces the alley cats to go help. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right! So all the cats go running to the uh, Duchess's house, right? And uh, Rokeford's like, she's like, wait for me! And chasing after them. And so there's this one wino who's drinking at a bar, sees the cats running, this little tiny mouse chasing them, and he pours his drink wino. onto the street. <laughs> I never drinking yeah. again. Oh yeah, I forgot that about that. That was a no. Yeah. God, you know, I keep, the more I think about it, just, oh, there's some really good moments in this yeah. one. So, and we get our last appearance of, of pretty much every character is in this film. As they're dancing to Everybody Wants to Be a Cat. Last of which is our, our friends Napoleon and uh, Lafayette. Lafayette. I'm the leader. I'll say when it's the end. Boom. It's the end. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so the, this that that's the end of the movie. This is what an adventure we had. Yeah, this was. Uh, you know what? Um, um, what do you think as a whole with this film? I like it. I like it. I. It's not my favorite film, but um, like there is definitely flaws. But it's still a fun film to watch. Yeah. Uh, here, the one thing I was surprised by. The comedy is really good in this. Yeah. I did not expect the comedy to be as good in it yeah. as I initially it's a, thought. Yeah, it's a proper romp in this one. It's probably why it stuck with me so much is because, you know, I've always been a big fan of comedy and uh, I think that a lot of the humor was on point. But also, um, I had recently rewatched uh, Lady and the Tramp, oh, yeah, which yeah. has beautiful animation, but there's a lot of like. To me, there's a lot of similarities in kind of the story structure yeah. And, yeah. and just like the overall themes of the movie. And to me, I find this movie a lot more entertaining than Lady and the Tramp. And I think uh, there's also kind of more cohesive story going on. Yeah. Because Lady and the Tramp kind of meanders a bit, it, which it's it's in a similar vein to Bambi. But Bambi feels like there's like a whole like kind of circle of life type of thing, whereas Lady and the Tramp is just kind of like. Here's a funny dog hanging out doing dog stuff, but maybe that's just me. Um, I th I see Lady and the Tramp as a very different movie from this film. Oh yeah, well tonally it's very different, but, right? But I'm just I would say about... this movie movie is closer tonally to 101 Dalmatians. Yeah, sure, sure. I, I'm more with I'm more with David on that. Um, I think this movie is funnier yeah. than 101 Dalmatians. I think I do think 101 Dalmatians tells a more cohesive storyline. Yeah, but with more stakes. With yeah. more stakes. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot more stakes because those dogs are about to get cooked. But yep. but as a whole, stakes. I'll pop them on the head and you do the skinning. <laughs> but this, uh, like the voice acting is great. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, for amazing talents in this movie, but. Uh, the basically the what I, what what I was just trying to say, and this this is just for me in particular. Um, I think the animation is you know leagues better in uh, Lady and the Tramp. There's uh -huh. just beautiful oh, yeah. touches and stylistic choices in that film. Um, but this one I find more entertaining and just has. It, it feels like the, there's a lot more going on in the in between sections, whereas Lady and the Tramp, there's like those famous moments that you see, but like. Kind of the in-between parts are, like, kind of forgettable for me. I can see that. 
Yeah, I can see but that. it's also the the other thing to remember about this movie is that this like I watched the hell out of this VHS. This was <laughs> this was my jam. So I am I'm wearing rose colored glasses with this movie. There's little doubt. But it, I mean, again, I, this wasn't one I grew up with. So again, it's just like watching it from a perspective. And I I like it. I I think I like it more now than I did even then. Ooh. I think so too. So um, I yeah, I'd say I enjoy it. It's, not one of my favorites, but I certainly really do. Ten out of ten, perfect film. <laughs> you, if you ten out of ten, perfect O'Malley. <laughs> if you haven't seen this film and you're a film major, you failed. <laughs> I, I who will. needs who needs Citizen Kane? I, it's all about Citizen O'Malley. <laughs> Citizen, listen, he is a beacon of hope, and you know, just effervescent. <laughs> He he creates he, light he, where there is darkness. You want to avoid if you want an example of how to be a, a cool cat and avoid being avoid any sort of toxic masculinity. Yeah, look to Thomas O'Malley. He knows how to be a gentleman and a scholar. Yeah, he's a gentleman and a scholar. He's also a wizard and a. <laughs> he, he did talk about magic carpets. Exactly. A lot. He's he's everything that I could ever want to be because everybody wants to be a cat. Yes. And, and other rhymes with cats. Um, I do think, honestly, because uh, we were talking about this, I'm like, you know, uh, it's a ni- it's a movie set in 1910, but feels a bit anachronistic in a lot of places. Sure. And I think what could have worked, I think they should have said it during 1930, mm-hmm. honestly, because you could have had beautiful light structures and all that, but then jazz would be a thing. Yeah. And they could have adapted that whole beatnik feel. Well, no, so, listen, you're you're missing a huge part of this movie. This is based off of a true story. Cats invented jazz. (laughs) Did you not read the thing that you read? (laughs) Although, granted, having a a, uh, 1930s... Aristocats would be interesting because then you could have some Django Reinhardt inspired oh, oh, yeah. French gypsy jazz. Like that would be cool. Or or as Toulouse says when he's half asleep, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a nod to Louis. Uh so yeah, I think that just about puts the cat back in the bag. Yeah. Or should we let should we should probably let the cat out of the bag. We care about these cats. Well yeah, because they're in the the Edgar trapped them in a sack. Quick, get them out of the cat bag before they go to Timbuktu. All right. Uh, ben, thank you so much for joining us. Thank for you this. for having me. This was a fun journey to, to go back to this film. I, I haven't, I've literally not seen this in probably over a decade at least. I'm happy to do it. It was good to have you back. Uh, is there anything you want to share with our listeners? Any projects you're working on that you want to, like, plug or mm. uh well i uh my short film that i i made the the western guns don't lie i, I finally put that up on youtube so. yeah that's Woo! right so yeah if you look up guns don't lie on youtube it's the it's on the guns don't lie official youtube page and you can you can watch that so uh kayla and i are in it we're both extras yeah yeah you, you see me taking uh pictures in the background of the yeah train. so yeah. if you if you at the very very beginning of the movie the whole there's a whole sequence that takes place on a train uh and you'll see uh kayla and david in all their glory and they're shining <laughs> i'm trying to compare you to o'malley <laughs> But, uh, basically, they, they light up the scene by being in the background behind me. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's got a really good score, too. Oh, also. man, yeah, the score about, Like, it's going, it's playing in my head as you're talking about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you're interested in, in uh, the, the the score in particular, the, the guy who did that, uh, Kentucky Clawson, is, uh, 
He has a, a new band right now that it, um, I think they're called Venom Millennium. So. Venom Millennium. Yeah, so if you look them up, they, that's good. They I like that. Some good stuff. I, I actually worked on a music video for them that that that'll come out eventually. <laughs> Nito, keep me posted. Will do. All right. Um. So our next film that we're gonna do uh, for the Walt Disney animated feature se- sequence for next month is Robin Hood, and then, um, however, we do have an extras this month. Yes. Uh, <gasps> Dave and I are gonna do bed knobs and broomsticks. What? No. Yes. No. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, now, actually, can I ask him this? So, um, we ha- we were having a debate with like two things, um, mm. and uh, one of them being, should we have reviewed uh, uh, the newest Mary Poppins film mm. last month? But ultimately, we decided not to. Mm-hmm. Uh, reason being less more less the uh, reason of uh, not going like the chronological reason, and more that time kind of. Became busy for us because we realized, oh yeah, it's the holidays. Well, yeah. also time is in our minds though, so yeah. If you wanted it, would have happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so we'll. I think uh, in the future we'll eventually do um, the new Mary Poppins film, but let's just wait till. I I, I like, uh, and this is just my opinion. This is this is your guys' show, so I have no, <laughs> I have no stake in this. But uh, I feel like you should definitely do that after you do the the first Mary Poppins. We did. We did in November. Oh, you already did it. Yeah. We All did. right. Well then. Good job, you did it. <laughs> uh, yeah, because we which were... is why we're doing bed knobs and broomsticks. Yeah, so I'm sorry, I wasn't up to date on this. I was <laughs> <laughs> no, right. we, we did watch the new one. That's why we were debating if we wanted to do uh, the newest Mary Poppins right afterwards because it was so close to each other. But but that would break our whole chronological right. in order thing. <laughs> sure. So we just decided we'll just keep with the chronological in order. Just start part. a separate show where you watch Mary Poppins returns every day for a year. <laughs> oh, the best idea of all time. Yeah. Uh, oh gosh. Um, but uh, the, this is one, uh, and I mean, you have a film degree, so you you can tell me this. Um, sure. Uh, a soon to be guest coming on our show. When we asked him, "Hey, uh, what film do you want to do?" And he's like, "Can I do Tron?" And we're like, "We're not doing Tron. It's not an animated film." And he's like, "But it does." computer graphics and computer graphics is an important part of animation why don't you do tron i'm like good you know i never thought about that um what do you think do you think tron counts as an animated film because a lot of it is computer generated but Mm -hmm. do you think it were like is it something worth watching I've seen the film, but is it worth watching well, in terms of animation? It's definitely an, an important step in uh, feature films, but yes, yeah, specifically I'd say for uh, CGI technology and animation, because I believe, I don't know if this is 100% true, but the I believe Tron actually started out as another project. Um I don't know if it was that they they uh, they ended up using the same assets, but they had all of these animators and such working on a certain project, and then that project got scrapped. And those animators were going to get paid for the time that they weren't working, and they were like, all right, well, screw it, we're going to make Tron now. <laughs> so uh, there were a lot of Disney animator people, I believe, who were working on Tron. So that could be an important aspect in the movie. We can look into that. Yeah, I, I would look into that and make sure that that is correct information. Okay. But also, um, 
I believe uh, Tron has a lot of the, the like predecessors to like you know what eventually became Pixar and stuff like that. So it's it's interesting. It's it's a quandary we think about, and we've been asking this for like the last three episodes or so. Sure. So uh, I guess we'll see how that goes. Sure thing. Well, anyway, we we won't take up any more of your time because you're busy. You're busy, folks. We've got more Disney movies to watch. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So join us a little later this month for Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, and then next month we'll hit Robin Hood. But until then, uh, take care, all you cool cats out there. And uh, oh, the steamship is pulling back into the station. Oh, good. So I think we should go get in line for. Uh, uh, well, Haunted Mansion is now out because it's past 1969. Hey, let's go ride the Haunted Mansion. It's not just an empty house that's just sitting in a vacant lot. Amazing! Yay, let's go get in line. Hello, this is Brendan Creasy, and I'm the host of Radio Brendo Man, a podcast on the Benvy Network. I'll be interviewing a new guest each episode on the show. We'll be talking about creating things, all things geek culture, movies, TV, and all kinds of other stuff. If that sounds cool, check out Radio Brendo Man at radiobrendo.com, benvynetwork.com, or in your podcast app. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.